Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. I say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God, and I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name, shout hallelujah. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds very good. Hallelujah. Let the Lord just give, bless you real good today. Look in the book of Mark, chapter 9, and about verse... Oh, about verse, oh, maybe 16 uh, that we're going to be looking at. Verse 16, Matthew 9. Well, back on up, maybe to verse 14. Matthew 9, verse 14. Uh, I'm going to share with you out of this story. It's a few verses. I think I'm, I, I might just read it uh, to you as we begin. And it wouldn't hurt for us to all be very attentive to the word uh, as I read it to us together verse 14 of Mark's gospel, chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open it up, follow me along. And if you got it on your tablet or on your phone or whatever it is, punch it in, kid in Mark, chapter 9, verse 14. Because as we do, that word that you allow uh, to come into your heart and spirit will jump off of that page. It will become a revelation to you. It will become reality. It will fill your heart and your life. It will bring forth faith, and it will bring forth miracles and healings and deliverance. It sets us free in every single way. Bring forth prosperity and blessing in our life. How many believes the word works? Amen? All right. Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 14. And when he had come to his disciples, he saw great multitudes about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. Verse 16. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? Verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which hath a dumb or a mute spirit, and wherever he takes him, he tears him. He foams, he gnashes with his teeth, he pines away. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Verse 19. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came upon him? He said, Of a child. Oftentimes it's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that the people came running together, and he rebuked the foul spirit. He said unto him, the foul spirit, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him and enter no more in him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that they said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come to his house, his disciples asked him privately, and said, Why could we not cast him out? He said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Can you say amen to the reading of the word this morning? I want to share something with you. As I was praying and seeking the Lord, it's been several weeks ago now, uh, and this passage of Scripture just bumped out to me. And uh, it has to do with our responsibilities. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning about the responsibility that you have and the responsibility that I have today. In fact, uh, the responsibility is ours we have a responsibility. When you think about the word itself, um, uh, responsibility, and you look into the dictionary, it's going to tell you something like this, that responsibility is a state or a fact of having a duty to deal with something or of having control over someone. In other words, you're in charge of something, not only in charge of something, but you've got a duty. You've got a responsibility. It's your responsibility to do this. 
The state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. In other words, if you did this, you did that, I did it, I'm to blame, you're the blame, whichever the case may be. It's called taking responsibility. With that, sometimes it means taking the blame if you are at fault. The opportunity or the ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. In other words, when you've been authorized, when you have the responsibility for something, it's not that you have to go and ask all the time, can I do this, can I do that? You have the responsibility for it. You have these responsibilities, you just go out and you do it. And in life, what happens sometimes, particularly in the Christian world that you and I now live, is this, is uh, we get our responsibilities mixed up. We get responsibilities mixed up between us, between God, who's responsible for this, who's responsible for that, whose job this is, whose job that is, all those kind of things. For, for example, who, who is responsible for sickness and disease? Who is responsible for pain, suffering, death, lack, poverty? Who, who's responsible for all those things? And then you're answering that question will also point you in the direction to the proper answer to the source of your supply. We also ask this sometimes, who's responsible for our victories? We think some people were just lucky. It just happens for them. Who's responsible for people's wealth? Well, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, we might say. Or who's responsible for success or happiness or our joy? All these questions, who is responsible? Once you get that down in your heart and life of who the responsibility rests with and lie with, you're going to have a greater understanding of God, a greater understanding of problems that arise in the earth, and a greater understanding of how to solve those problems that come against each and every one of us in our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to be right there in Mark chapter 9. We're going to dip in and dip out into it time and time again as we begin to look. Let me start us off and look at Mark chapter 9, verse 18. I want you to see it again. And let me just read it to you and just sort of let the word just build in your heart. Let it build. Mark 9, 18. Wherefore the father said about his son, who was having this problem with his sickness and disease, he said to him, wherefore it seizes him. There's something seizes him. It, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that to cast him out and they couldn't do it. Going down to verse 20. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground, and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. They asked the father, how long has he had this? Ever since he's a child, he says. Verse 22, and often it has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. What I'm wanting you to see is this, is who is responsible for this little boy's sickness and disease that has come against him. Whatever modern day terminology we might not, we might give it, that kind of thing. Some people like to look at it and think maybe there was epilepsy or something like that going on. But whatever label you give it, whatever was happening to us, he's in a tragic situation. He's trying to get away from it. He throws him into the fire. It tries to kill him. It throws him into the water. It tries to drown him there. All these things. And it's been happening all of his life since he was a little child. He's had this tragedy of sickness and disease that is in his life and the question becomes is who is responsible i think it's very clear the father sort of understands what's going on when he said it makes this happen it causes that to happen something's going on it's not the little boy's fault something's going on there is a spiritual force that is at work here and we call him the d-e-v-i-l the devil somebody say the devil it's that no good, ungodly, wicked spirit, the devil. That's where the responsibility lies. Now, let me give you a couple of scriptures. If you want to turn here, you're welcome to. But in Job chapter 1, verse 7, remember when Job, the devil comes before God with the other sons of God, and he realizes Job's on the earth, and Job's doing pretty good. In fact, he's a righteous man. In fact, he's a perfect man in all the earth. The devil's a little upset about that and says he's only that way because he is so blessed. And he got it really backwards, really. He's blessed because he's that way. Amen. That's what happened to him. He's blessed because he did things right. He, he's blessed because he did the things God told him to do. And so, but the devil wants to throw these things against him. And he comes up, and the Bible tells us this, that God asked the devil, where have you been? In Job 1 and 7, Satan answered the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God, that Satan answered the Lord God said, I've been going to and fro in the earth, I've been walking back and forth in it. The devil is on the loose on planet earth. 
and he'd been walking to and fro on the earth looking for something. And he spotted Job a second time. In Job chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord asks Satan again when he has a, another encounter with him, where you been now, devil? Where you been now, Satan? Satan says and answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking back and forth in it. The devil is on the loose in the earth. He's looking. Don't hide now. We're here all right under the blood of Jesus. He will have to lift up the cover of the blood to see me. He ain't getting nowhere near the blood of Jesus. Amen. But he's looking. He's looking. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. There used to be a song years ago called Wooly Bully. Watch it now. Watch it. Going to get you now. Going to get you. Had it told Maddie. I mean, hey, going to get you. He's he going to get you. He's out there. He's out there. <laughs> Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you better be sober. You better be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking. He's looking for you today. He wants your number. He wants your address. He's looking. Jesus said it like this in John 10, 10. You know the verse of Scripture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's looking for you because he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy you. You see, the problem is, is you look like God. The Bible said in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, you and I, we've been made in the image of God and in his likeness. And God placed us in authority over all of this earth. You've got what the devil used to have, which was authority of planet earth. And now he's looking for you. Because, you know, his battle really is not against God as such. Although, of course, it is. But as such, his battle is against you and me because you and me are the one that God's given the responsibility to on planet Earth. You're responsible for this place. I almost said this mess. You and I are responsible for this place. And the devil is looking for you. You've got what he had. You're in possession of what he used to rule and reign over. When he walked among the fires and coals of God and came in before God and ruled and reigned on this place. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 14, as it talks about it in Isaiah 28, other places, or Ezekiel 28. He talks about it over and over again. He tells us what happened and what the devil was doing and what he was doing on planet Earth. He ran this place until God wiped it out, cast him down, created a brand new man, and set him on this beautiful place that God had renovated called paradise and put him in the Garden of Eden. And there he was in the place that the devil used to have. And the devil, if nobody's told you or not, the devil hates your guts. The devil hates everything about you. When you got saved, you became empowered. So feel strong in your empowerment. Amen? But when you got saved, you also got a target on your back. You got a target on the back, and the devil's looking for you. Watch it now. Watch it. The devil's looking for you. All right. First of all, we understand that. The devil is out, and the devil, that's the problem one. I said problem one's a devil. Problem one in the earth is a devil. That's the problem. It's not your brother or your sister. Amen. Amen. And let's say this. We're getting close to political time. It's not the Republicans or the Democrats that are your problem. It's, it's the devil. Amen. It's the devil. All right. Here's another problem. I've seen, I saw three problems there. Here's another one. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 19. In this world... It says that he answered him. Jesus said, after he talked, and then they brought the son to him and that kind of stuff. And the first thing Jesus says is this. Oh, faithless, verse 19, generation. Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? We live in a faithless generation. That's the problem. People not trusting in God. People don't have their faith in God Almighty. They'll put their faith in anything. It seems, other than God. I mean, you know, bless the Lord. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, my doctor said this, the doctor said, well, I, I love my doctor. I really do. I thank God for my doctor. She and I had our physical again. We have a yearly physical again this year and um, talked with my doctor. And I, I don't know, Dr. Patterson, he's a wonderful man of God. I like him. He talks very well. And he looked at me. He said, Leon, you said you look good. You look like you're 45 years old. And I said, hmm. 
That's insulting because I feel like I'm 18. But anyway, <laughs> but somebody says, I, I, I don't act like my doctor says. I, mean, I respect him. I really do. But at the same time, I, I'm just, how can I say this? Because I, I love and appreciate those in this earth that give us care and help us and love us. I really do. But my trust in the final analysis is not in my doctor. It's not in my doctor. Somebody said, I got this problem. How come? Call my doctor, say it. Call my doctor, say it. Or we said this about something else, you know, about we want to get this, we want to get this in life, or I can't do this because my checkbook said, or because my savings account said. I haven't heard my savings for years. Hello? Or my savings account said. And, and we, we listen to that. We listen to all kind of things in the earth, and we say that we can't do this, we can't do that. Oh, oh, oh the government. Oh, if so-and-so wins, it'll be terrible. If so-and-so is related, it'll be terrible. And our trust is in man. Our, our trust is in government. If your trust is in government, you, you, you bad off. I mean, government don't do a good job. I mean, I mean, at a lot of things. You can give the government a dollar to give out to people, and somewhere they get three cents of it by the time it gets to them. They're not good at dispensing money, it doesn't seem. But, you know, we, we put our faith in things that are there, but not in God. Not in God. And Jesus looked and said, this is a faithless generation. No doubt that man had done everything he could for his son. As he rightly should have. Nothing wrong with that. Remember the woman? She had spent all she had, spent all her living. They had the issue of blood on everything, but rather good words. And, and, ain't nothing wrong with, you know, doing the, the real things that we need to do here on planet. Nothing wrong with that at all. But the thing about it is this. Our, our faith should be in God and God Almighty. And Jesus says, the, the reason this devil is still in this child is because you guys are faithless. You are faithless. Everybody say faithless. And so what we have to do in our life is, is we've got to conquer that because that's a big problem. And it has been. And let me tell you, if you conquer it, you'll be one of the few. If you conquer faithlessness, you will be one of the few. What the Marines say, one of the few in the proud, didn't they? You'll be one of the few. Here's why. Listen. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 20, Moses said, speaking of the Lord, he said, I'll hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. And Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy all in one day, just as they were going into the promised land, and he's not going to get to go. And so he's leaving them a whole book of instruction here, and he sort of goes over the history of where they've been since they came from Egypt. He talks about the miracles. He talks about how God was there. He talks about the giving of God's word and God's law to the, to the children of Israel. He talks about all those things, and he talks about how they've been called to possess the promised land. Every bit of this. And imagine, after all they saw and after all that God did for them, God says... I'll hide my face from them when I see them and they're in, what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. Imagine that. Children in whom is no faith. I'll tell you one reason they're that way. One reason. You've got to take this in the right way and I'm saying it. Because the children of Israel always look to, if you can say it this way, maybe to God through Moses. Their link to God is Moses. Ain't got no Moses, they're going to go to sinning, making golden calves. Yeah, ain't got no Moses. They're looking to the man. They are looking to the man. Don't you ever look to the man. I thank God, and I do, that you folks respect me and honor me. It humbles me so much that you do. But don't look at me. Don't let my life be. I try for it to be a good example. I really do. But don't look at my life as an example. Don't say, I want to be like the pastor. God help you, don't say that. Don't do that. No, you want to be like Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. The pastor might fail you. The pastor might, you know, he might mess up, have done it before. Hey, all of us have. But you know, Jesus hadn't. He won't fail you. And that's the reason, that one reason, they have no faith. But imagine that. Children of Israel, no faith. I mean, how can you walk through the Red Sea party and see waters on both sides and no faith? Ah, it's incredible, isn't it? In Psalms 106, verse 21, the Bible says, They forgot God, their Savior, whom they had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe His word. No faith, not believing His word. Despised the pleasant land. The promise and the blessing was there, and they despised it. They had, you know, the folks come in and said, This is a good place. We've got the fruit thereof. 
40 years before. They, they knew it. They had the history. They had the account. That the people testified to that. Had a bunch of people that said we can't do it too. And they despised the blessing. That, that is just so amazing. Uh, l- let me tell you something. Uh, th- that's a difference in life sometimes. And, and again, too, let me tell you something. You can be saved whether you are rich or whether you are poor. It doesn't matter. But you find a lot of people, you know, just despising rich folk. Don't despise rich folk. Be one of them. Amen? You won't despise them. <laughs> you despise that guy with the big house on the hill? Hey, have you lived in that big house on the hill? I mean, get, get, don't, don't knock it till you tried it. I've heard some people talk about a, a lot of things, you know, money that uh, can't buy your friend. No, but there'll be a lot of people hanging around you if you got money. They will, I mean. Or, or money can't do this. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that money answers all things. Argue with the writer of Ecclesiastes, who was the smartest man in all the world. Okay, okay. No, you know what? There's a lot of things much more important than money. We all know that, amen? Absolutely, a lot of things much more important than money. But at the same time, money goes a long way. Amen? Money goes a long way, do a lot of things for it. It is nice to get up in the morning and have heat in your house. I've got it in the morning and didn't have heat in my house. You ever been that way? I have. I got it in the morning and didn't have heat in my house. We ran out of oil. I remember as a boy, we woke up and ran out of oil. We had the old, old drum out behind the trailer that we lived in and woke up. And went, no oil, just zip gone. Couldn't buy none until the first of the next month and out of it. Well, we had a little bit of gas in the propane out front. And so we turned that on and, and turned on the, the gas stove in the kitchen trying to get a little heat. Anybody ever done anything like that? I've been there. I've been there, okay? I've been there. I've done some things like that. Absolutely. And let me tell you, it's a lot nicer so all you got to do is just push a button on the wall, and that thing is heated up for you. Woo, that's real good. We don't have to th- set the thermostat anymore. In fact, I'm arguing about the thermostat now. How do you know if it's 70 degrees hot or 70, de- 70 degrees cold? But it does. We got in our car this morning and came to church, and as we are coming, I, we've been having the air set on 70. I looked, it was on 70, and it's blowing out heat. I said, how did it know to blow out heat? I, I don't like that. I want a button that says off, on, heat, and air. Call me old-fashioned, but I like that. I don't trust these, these things. But anyway, but it's nice. Well, what, what am I saying? You know, all, all these kind of things in life, we despise the pleasant land like they did, and they didn't believe his word. Believe his word. Believe his word. Rich man ain't going to get nothing no more than I'm going to get. Amen. Amen. He did it. I can do it too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Why? Because I believe the word of God. What's a man soweth that shall they also reap. Amen. Amen. Righteousness, or the Bible says, wealth and riches are in the house of the righteous. I'm righteous. You righteous? Wealth and riches in the house of the righteous. But no, they didn't believe. They didn't believe his word. They despised his pleasant land. They despised the good things of God. What the Bible says this in Mark 16, verse 14. Later he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at the table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe on those who had seen him and arisen. So in other words, there's people that's been faithless and doubting since the time of Adam and Eve right up to now. And in fact, it's just the truth, the majority of people are faithless and doubters. That's why people, when bad times come and difficulties come and hardships come and nobody wants them, if you live through them, you have a heart of compassion for that. For sure, ain't nobody wanting any of that. But you know what? Hard times and different things like that coming against us and problems of life are not going to make us all go crazy, go nuts, and go berserk. It's not going to send me into depression. It's not going to bring discouragement because, you know what? Happiness and joy doesn't come from what you have. It comes from who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And all these things that's going on on the earth, faithlessness. I mean, you can give the worst of news. And I've had some of that. You can have the worst of news. It, it don't matter. It don't matter. You got God. It don't matter. Uh, you, you come into God's presence and you walk and you talk with God, bad news don't accept, uh, upset you like it used to. But now if you're not in this kind of relationship with God, you hear bad news, oh me, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, all upset, just having to fit, whirl, 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 uh, you know, pulling your hair, everything. What are you going to do? What do you mean, what are you going to do? Do what we've always done. We're going to trust God. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. So that, that's the second problem. Now notice, notice what I've said. Problem one is the devil. On, on this little boy not getting healed. Problem two, faithlessness. Ain't nobody got no faith to get the job done. I've heard people talk about this before. They say, well, you know what? Let's get a prayer chain going. 
or tell everybody to pray. Everybody you see, oh, Lord God, get somebody to pray. Everybody. I mean, everybody you see. I would rather have one person that's got faith pray for me than the whole Christian church that don't have an ounce of it, if that was okay. Amen? You don't have to call everybody. You just get to the right one. It's like me and Sheila getting married. It wasn't all the women in the world I wanted to spend my life with. It was the one I wanted. I had to get the right one. Amen? And then convince her I was the right one. But anyway. Some things are harder than others. Right? All right. But anyway. Problem three. Here's where I'm trying to get to. Problem three. Mark 9, verse 22. It says, And often it's thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. The devil's out there. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, you help us. Now listen to this problem very carefully. The problem, and this is the third problem. Okay? Problem one is the devil. Problem two, people ain't believing. Problem three, we expect God to do everything. We expect God to do it all. We don't want to do nothing. God, you do it all. It's all up to, as the world says, the man upstairs. It's all up to God. We just want him to do it all. And you know what? If you're expecting God to do it all, you're going to be disappointed. Because God don't do it all. I know some people pitch a fit, throw dirt in the air, and whip their clothes when you say something like that. But no, no, I, I've been in a situation enough in life to realize that. I believed. I believed in prosperity and blessing since the time, I guess, I heard Brother Copeland talk about in 1980 in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's really when I got turned on to that part of blessing. I believed it a long, 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 long time. 1980 to now, it's at 20. That's uh, 40 years, another five years, and that's what my age is. But anyway, that length of time, I, I believe that. But it was only back in 2008 that I really believed it and did something about it. Because from 1980 to 2008, 28 years, the whole time God could do it all, it all didn't get done. But in 2008, when I believed God and acted on his word, my life changed. My world changed. Everything changed for us. It changed incredibly for us. And so, even though God has power to do things, what you have to understand is, is it his responsibility for him to do it? Was it, and I know we say this, and it sounds fun. Who woke you up this morning? Jesus, you know. I've been saying this since Andrew Crouch taught it to me many years ago. Okay, I know that. But the reality is, I don't know, maybe a few of you did, but I didn't see Jesus come to my bedroom and wake me up this morning. I said that, and that evil, no good alarm clock beside of me woke me up. And it just started beeping on me. Sheila's got where she sleep right through it. It goes, beep. I hear it go, beep. Sheila's going to cut that off. And she's still asleep. Or resting her eyes. She don't sleep. She's resting her eyes. But I went over and hit that thing. That alarm clock woke me up. What if we said that in church? Who woke you up this morning? The alarm clock. No. No, Jesus. Jesus starts our day, doesn't he? But we expect God to do it all. Did God tell anybody what color clothes to wear today? Didn't God tell you what kind of shoes to wear today? Open toe, I mean, uh, you know, closed toe or top shoes or slip on or heels. Wouldn't I look funny in heels? Look like I did back in the 70s. With them. We had them big heels. No belt and pants just snap right here. Belt come way up here. We would. Cool, man. We were all right. We was all right. No. Some things you got to do for yourself, don't you? Everybody say, some things I got to do for myself. And if you expect God to do everything, you can say, I need a job. Oh, God, give me a job. Call that same prayer chain again. Get 100,000 folks to pray to give you a job. Go into the church. Lay hands on me. Pray for me to get a job. We all pray for you to get a job. No, nah, it wasn't enough. Take me to the prayer room. Pray for me in there. Let's fast three days for me to get a job. We fast three days. We do everything. All right, you believe you can get a job? I sure do. Where are you going? I'm going home. What you going home for? You got a job at home? No. Go out there and do this. 
and tell somebody, I'm looking for a job. I haven't decided if I'm work for you yet, but let me hear what you got in the mind. You know, go, go, go find your job somewhere. I know it's a little bit different. You've got to key things in on the Internet and that kind of stuff, different things you've got to do. There's all kind of ways that you can, you can get jobs today, all kind of things. You can create jobs, make jobs with the Internet. You can, you, you can work at home, you know, make thousands of dollars just working at home, sitting around, you know, in, uh, at your house. But you're going to have to do something. If you just can think it's God's responsibility to do every single thing in your life, you're going to be big time disappointed. First reason, it's not God's responsibility. Because I'm going to guarantee you, God fulfills his responsibilities. He does what he's supposed to do. He does what he's supposed to do. You remember the story I told you about Jack Coe when he first started out in ministry? And Jack Coe stood out in front of a pastor. Uh, he was preaching revival at this place. And he said he got excited that night at the church as a preaching revival. He said, bless God, everybody come tomorrow because you come tomorrow night to the evangelistic service. Bring the sick, the afflicted. Everybody's got needs. Bring them in. God's going to heal. Bring them in in Jesus' name. Jack Coe put it out there just like that. And then after the service, the pastor said, no, look, I enjoy you preaching, but you know, you got carried away tonight. And he said, well, how come? He said, because you said that tomorrow night that if you bring all the sick and afflicted, God's going to heal during that time. And the pastor said, Jack said, that's, that's exactly right. That's what I said. And the pastor said, well, what if he don't? Jack said, well, what if he does? The man said, well, what if he don't? Then where will my church be? Jack Coe said, well, what if he does? Then where will your church be? And so they sort of left at that. Jack went home, started to pray. And he said, talked to God. He said, God, what if you don't? He's praying to John. And Jack Coe says, this is what the Lord said to him in his prayer time. He said, Jack, why don't you do this? Why don't tomorrow night you lay hands on the sick and pray and preach the word of God? Why don't you do what you're supposed to do? And God said, Jack, I guarantee you I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Amen. Woo, amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Put the responsibility where it belongs. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. It's not God's job to put his hand on you. Amen. Every time I heard Brother Copeland tell that little story about, Lord, come lay your fevered hand on my brow, or on my fevered brow. It's, it's, it's not God's, God's, God's job to come down from heaven, leave his throne, tell everybody, hold on a minute, I'll be back, going down there and lay my hands. It's, it's not his job. It's your job Amen. to lay hands on us. Now, it's not your job to have him recover. That's God's job. You do the laying on of hands, he does the recovery. Amen? It's just like I broke my arm a couple of years ago. She broke her shoulder six weeks ago. It was a daughter's job to sew us up. It wasn't his job to heal us and stick us back together, though. He just did the sewing. God did the healing. Amen? Got to know where your responsibilities are and who's responsible. Problem is, we expect God to do it everything. Listen, listen real carefully. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, the storm was there. And Jesus was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Uh, you know, that's not what I would have done. Jesus in the boat, asleep. Storm's out there. It's everywhere. And wake him up. Jesus, we're all about to drown. Do you care? What if Jesus said, No, I don't care, and went back to sleep? Or what if he said, yeah, I care, and went back to sleep? I wouldn't have asked him. I said, get up, get up. But anyway, verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind. How many know Jesus has power to rebuke the wind? Say amen. He arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, speak to your problem. Speak to trees, speak to wind, speak to sea, speak to money, speak to body, speak to your problem. He said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, the same guys that woke him up and told, asked him, wanted to know if they cared, they was all about to die, I just want to know if he cared. And he says to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Remember that faithless generation? They feared exceedingly, verse 41, said one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? They expect God to do everything, them to do nothing. Them to do nothing. A lot of us are in that same boat with the disciples today. Expect God to do everything, you don't have to do nothing. God do it all. 
Just do it all, Lord, whatever it is. When Jesus fed the 5,000, listen to this. When Jesus fed the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, verse 37, he actually said to them, you give them something to eat. How would you like to invite 5,000 people to your house for dinner today? Oh, Lord, we'd run out of bologna and bunny bread real quick, wouldn't we? My goodness, we'd cut them all up in little bitty finger sizes. You ever go to a shower or a wedding and get them little finger-sized food? How many hates that when you're starving to death? And you walk inside and they give you this little plate. And, you, and when you eat those things, you've got to keep the pinky up, don't you? And you've got to be proper. you got to be proper. One day, I'm going to go to a wedding or a, or a shower. And they're going to have, when you walk in, they're going to have a, a good-sized blowing sandwich. Pork and beans. I mean, they're going to have some good food at a place like that. But anyway. And that punch, why can't you just give us a Diet Pepsi? Why does it have to be orange or pink or green? And you taste it, you say, what is this? How many ever t- drunk some punch at a wedding? And you said, what is this? You should have said manna like the Old Testament. What is this? But anyway, Jesus has got 5,000 people who are hungry. they hungry. He'd been preaching to them in three days. Some of y'all think we get out late here just because we won't leave today to 2.30. But you know, he'd been preaching in for three Days. Three days. Well, I said, won't you feed us after church? You, you, you want to stay three days? I, I think I got enough money in my pocket to, to pay for everybody's meal three days from now if you're still here. <laughs> right? And Mark 6, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Who's the responsibility on? It's on the disciples, isn't it? You give them something to eat. They said, what? Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? We can't do this. But he said to them, how many loaves and fishes do you have? Go and see. And when they found them, we only got five loaves, two fish. We can't do this. They did not. They tell him the problem. The people are hungry. They were. But they don't expect they're the ones that have to meet the need. Because Jesus said he told them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. See, we place responsibility on Jesus for everything. And I don't get mad, don't get mad. Because it's a precious song. I understand people's heart and attitude. But sometimes we say, can't even walk without you holding my hand. That's a pretty song. It's okay, all right? But you can walk without Jesus holding your hand. They sinners do it all the time. Right? Right? But anyway, I don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I know the attitude. I wouldn't want to walk without Jesus. Amen? I don't want to go nowhere. Somebody said, would you go somewhere to a church that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Ghost? Would you go worship at a church? I said, I wouldn't even walk outside the street on the street corner. I wouldn't walk outside the door if the Holy Ghost can't go. If I go to the door and the Holy Ghost has to stay outside, I'm staying out there with him. Amen? You can, uh, 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 uh. Uh, we, we, we want God to do it all. We expect him to do everything. If that's your expectation, you're going to be big time disappointed. Yeah. You're expecting him to do it all. You're going to be very, very disappointed. Yeah. Very disappointed. Yeah. Look at Mark chapter 9. Now remember what happens. In verse 22, the man says... If you can do anything here, have compassion on us and help us. It's an honest statement. It's coming from a man who's hurting for his child, his baby. I understand all that. But he's not right. Okay? Notice what he says. If you can do anything, Lord. God, if you can do something, you do it. Notice what Jesus says back to him in verse 23. Jesus said to him. Now notice this. I'm going to add this part. Jesus is the thing. It's not me that's got to do this. He says. If you, it's not if God, if you, Jesus says, if you can believe, you the one going to have to do the believing. Because if you don't do the believing, your little boy stays sick, stays tormented, stays hurting, stays in pain. You, even though Jesus is powerful, He has healing power. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So he can heal this little boy that's oppressed for the devil. He has power to do it. 
But it don't get done unless there is believing there. And Jesus turns the table on him. It's not if I can. You know that most people know that. People, oh, God can do anything. We always say that. God can do anything. He's, in fact, we make him responsible for everything. God's in control of all this stuff. Somebody, you know, famine just came, house burnt down, and 20,000 people just died. Well, God's in control. No, 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 no. God didn't have anything to do with that. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How did he do that? Because man let him in. Because what he binds on earth is bound on earth. What he loose on earth is loose on earth. Because you've got the responsibility. We've got the responsibility. If we don't accept it that kind of way, then we're going to be run over by all these things that the devil wants us in our way. Okay? Now notice. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him. If you can believe all things are possible to him, in other words, if you can believe all things are possible for you, because most people will go, oh, I believe everything. God can do everything. It's not, that's not what he's saying. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I've got to believe I can. I'm the him. you the him. you the her. You've got to believe you can. You've got to believe it will happen for you. I mean, you're going to have to be convinced you can do it. You're going to have to know it. You're going to have to believe it in your own heart, in your life, that full faith and acknowledgement. The Bible says that Abraham in Romans chapter 4 was fully persuaded that what God was promised, he was also able to perform. To the point that he considered not his own body or his own wife Sarah. You know, he was fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. And that's what we've got to do. We follow the faith of Abraham. We have that kind of faith. The kind of faith that calls things that be not as though they were. That's the kind of God God is. And that's the kind of language we speak. That's how we talk. That's how we live. That's how we walk. If not, if not, then we didn't satisfy the if. See that word if? There's 1,522 ifs in the King James Bible. And he said, if you can believe. It's all contingent on this. It's all It's based on if you. In other words, responsibility is not God's to do the believing it's yours to do the believing. And so then when you encounter a problem, you have to recognize that. You can have bad stuff happen and difficult situations, circumstances come your way, and you can look at it. Oh, God, don't you care? God, where are you at? All these kind of things you might would say toward God if you're not praying and, and saying devotion with him, you might say those. If you wasn't, if you was, you wouldn't. But you, if you sell, that's the wrong kind of language. What you have to realize when a circumstance, a problem, an issue comes, you have to rec recognize this, that God is the author and finisher of my faith. God has empowered me to overcome this thing. God has given me the ability that I might win and not lose. And so if I'm losing, it ain't God's fault. It's my fault. And Leon, you're going to have to make some changes in you. And you will have to do what you need to do to get yourself in a position for the things of God to flow through your life. Don't blame God. Don't blame God. Man said, God, if you can. God says, man, if you can. He threw it right back on him. It's not if God can. It's if you can. We already know God can. God created anything and everything we've ever seen, know anything about in all of our lives. I mean, God can. That shouldn't be an issue for you. If that's an issue for you, you need help bad. That's not an issue for us at all. God can. The question is, you want this little boy healed? Can you? Can you? Can you? That's the big question. And people respond to this continually. This E.W. Kenyon talks about, don't get angry about this either. But E.W. Kenyon talks about this quite a lot. There was a message that was preached years ago, and my, people throwed up their hands and cursed it and laughed at it and made fun of it and didn't like it and bad-mouthed it. And it was when some of our friends came out and preached the message, having faith in your faith. And they all said, oh, what you mean faith in your faith? Well, we believe in God. Faith in your faith. Oh, you know what? Uh, faith that you can do something. Faith. Oh, they just bad method to the high levels. But the thing basically is this. You must believe in your faith. You must believe that you can. We all know God can. But you've got to believe that you can. It can happen for me. You can go for that job interview and you can talk yourself out of it all the way there if you want to. And you won't even walk in the door or knock on the door or anything. You might have been the perfect person for the job. Oh, they ain't hiring nobody. Man, if they would, they're not hiring me. All this kind of stuff. 
When, when I was uh, suggested that I find other employment uh, in, in 1976, uh, working for a company that was being unionized, and uh, when they suggested I find other employment other places, I, I left out. I mean, I, I hit the bed that day. That was on a Monday. Went home depressed, discouraged, and all kind of stuff. See, what? That's what happened. I've been fired. I've been fired. It's hard to get that word out. I've been fired. Went to bed on it. What you could do, I don't know. Lay down on the bed, fired. Being fired will take some of your respect out of you. It, it shouldn't, but it does because you feel bad about yourself that you're not up to speed. You're not the part of that. And so that, but then I, you know, I sort of got myself together and that kind of stuff and turned around and said, well, I'm going to get me another job. And I went out and I put an application in 30 places, 30 places, and no college degree. And every one of those places I put an application in required it. And I didn't have it, okay? And so when I went out and did that, I got hired by the end of the week. And on Friday that week, I'm working. Fired on Monday. Friday, I'm working. Friday, I get my paycheck because they hold two weeks behind you. The president of the company told me on Friday, I, got, I walked in, you know, I walked in from driving a forklift to sit behind a desk by Friday. And by Friday, I'm sitting behind a desk. I'm doing the accounting. I'm writing the checks. And the guy says, well, the president says to me, he says, well, you know, you just started here, but whenever you want to get paid, you're welcome to. I said, today sounds good to me. <laughs> and so I wrote my own checks. I didn't never miss a week's check. In fact, I got ahead a week. Got ahead a week. But I got up and got out. Amen. Went on the street, started knocking on doors. Me and Sheila was gone. She sat in the car, waiting on me, and we do this and that and other, going to places and all this kind of stuff, knocking on doors. I, I wasn't sitting at home waiting for somebody magically to call me. God, if this is you, let that doorbell ring. No. Got out and did something. You got to do something. The responsibility is ours. The responsibility is ours. Uh, another part, I can just sort of throw a little bit of that in there, uh, too. Responsibility for your family. Now, I understand our family, sometimes husband and wife both work. That's, that's fine. That's okay. My wife has a uh, internet business that, that she and my son run, and uh, they run that, and they do that kind of thing. So that, that's fine. I understand that. But as, as the, the you know, man of the house, as the husband, I always looked at my responsibility. We, we, men, we need to re- take responsibility for our household. Yeah. Amen? Same way for our kids. Take responsibility for your kids. Say amen, or oh me, but say amen. And take responsibility for our children. It's your job. We've got to put that food on the table. Put them in decent clothes. Give them a decent education. Teach them right from wrong. Straighten them out when they do the wrong. Your responsibility, amen? Take responsibility about things. Responsibility is ours. In fact, let, let, me, let me give you one more. Mark 11. They come back by this fig tree is dried up that Jesus cursed. In Mark 11, verse 21, the Bible says, Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered away. Verse 22, so Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. In other words, why why, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you have the faith of God? You you could have cursed this fig tree, just like Jesus did. You could have done that. Why didn't you do it? You didn't have faith in God. Take the responsibility. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. In James chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Who does the resisting? A little bit louder now. Who does resisting? We do, don't we? We do the resisting. We do the resisting. And he flees from God? No. Who's he flee from? You, the person doing the resisting. He runs with the person that don't resist. Y'all run together. But the person doing the resisting, he flees from you. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, as you read. The scripture tells us, verse 9, Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Resist him. Don't let the devil just run over you. Don't, don't let the devil hit you and hit you hard and say, God, where you at? God, do something. Well, of course God is our power in our life. Of, of course he empowers us. Without him you can do nothing. I understand that. He, we, vine branches. I understand that. But it's you, the one, that's going to have to do the resisting against the devil. The Bible said in the book of Ephesians that we put on the whole armor of God. Put on God's clothes, God's armor. Put it on you. Don't put it on God. Put it on you. Because the devil is the one that's after you. And you better be all armored up. And then you have done all to do. Stand. Stand. You're, you're in this wrestling match with the devil. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual rulers in darkness of this age, against spiritual uh, wickedness in high places. And so if I'm in this wrestling match, I better start wrestling. I mean, one thing I learned when we did Taekwondo, you get out on a mat, and when you're doing Taekwondo and you're doing a match, and you give somebody split seconds, you're dead. I mean, you give them a split second, they don't hit you four or five times, and you don't know what was going on. You say, well, where are these stars at? I see little birds flying by. You done been popped. No, you, you can't. The devil's after you. You better suit up, armor up, get ready, and, and fight this battle. Amen? Now, verse 9, verse 24. Mark 9, 24. There's a struggle, though. Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. All of us have that struggle between faith and unbelief. I believe, but do I really? I believe it can happen, but can it really happen? I believe, but sometimes I don't know. Brother Hagin said it like this many years ago. You can have faith in your heart with doubt in your head. Okay? And think about that. Now, I'm not saying you walk around like a you know, two-headed monster kind of thing. No. You have to understand that statement a little more. But faith in your heart, doubt in your head. A lot of things come through my head that don't ever make it to my heart. A lot of stuff goes, a lot of people, you know, I'm going to speak my own mind. That's your problem. So hold on to that mind speaking. Or I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. No, you need every piece that you've got. Just hold on. Don't do that. Speak from the heart. Speak from the heart. And so he said, I'm believing, but help my unbelief. Now, now look, you're there in Mark. Look at Mark 11, verse 23, the golden text of faith, you might say. For surely I say to whosoever says this mountain be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. You cannot doubt in your heart and get things done. You cannot doubt in your heart. You must become fully persuaded. But believes that those things that he says will come to pass and he'll have whatsoever he says. Faith must prevail in your life. If you're having this struggle between faith and unbelief, between faith and doubt, you've got to see to it, and it is your responsibility, you better see to it that faith wins. Because if you don't, you ain't getting nothing. Yeah, but don't God love me? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he loves you. But if you don't exercise faith, you ain't getting nothing. Well, I think God loves all of us, does what he wants to, what he wants to. Okay, get another book because you're not reading out of this one. Amen. Let me read you out of this one. James chapter 1, verse 6. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. Here's what James, the Lord's brother, said, half-brother, said to us from the holy word of God. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. When you doubt, don't even think you're getting anything. Don't even think about it. If you let doubt prevail in your life, don't even think that the blessings... Don't you get out there and you be doubting against God? I, I, you know, I see that in the world, hear people talk about this, and they living in sin, and, you know, they don't ever commune or fellowship with God in His Word or in prayer time, and somehow or another, they happen to haphazardly pray a little prayer somewhere and then go out and say, God, let them down. God didn't let them down. They didn't fulfill the requirements of the book. That's what happened. That's what happened. They didn't fulfill the requirements. And James said this, if you've got that wavering kind of stuff out to see, you just toss, one day you up, one day you down, one day you in, and one day you out, you don't know which direction you're going tomorrow, don't expect you're going to get nothing from God. Well, what do I do? You know what you need to do. Get rid of the doubt and the unbelief and get filled with faith. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to get to do. Look at verse 25. Here's the victory. Mark 9, verse 25. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to if, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter no more into him. Why do they say don't come back into him? There's a lot more teaching there. Too. Why not? Because if they go out this first time, they're going to want to get back. Jesus said when they come back, man, it's going to be worse than it was before. You get freed from the devil, don't you mess with him. Don't you let him back in. I mean, it's going to be worse the second time than it was the first. Seven times worse. That's what Scripture teaches us. Then the spirit cried out. I like that. Jesus rebuked the spirit and the spirit cried. 
Look, I've been there. I've shed some tears. I've been brokenhearted. I've been hurt. I've had pain. All of us have been that place. But you know what? I mean, you're not the one that can be crying. It's a devil needs to be crying. He's the one. And when you find out who you are in Christ Jesus and we realize who we are in him, we're not going to be the ones doing all that crying. It's going to be the devil being crying. Jesus cracked and cast him out and the devil cried. I like that. The devil cried. The devil cried. Oh, I love that. The devil cried out. Convulsed him greatly. Came out of him. And he fell on the ground as one dead. Many said he is dead. In other words, the devil pitched his last little fit before he came out. On the way out, I'm going to convulse him greatly. I'm going to give him a fit on the way out. And he did. But it was on the way out. I mean, if I've seen the last of the devil, hey, get on out. That's what I want to see, the last of it. Get on out. You're not coming back. You are gone. Everybody say, devil, devil. Out. out. Don't come back no more. Hit the road jack, right? Don't come back no more, no more, no more. Hit the road jack. But anyway, he's gone. He's gone. You can't touch this, right? You can't touch this. Tell it to the devil. You can't touch this. I can't get that in my mind. You can't touch this. That's how you feel in God. Devil, you can't touch this. MC Hammer and all, you can't touch this. I'm going to get me some in parachute pants, what y'all think. But anyway, Jesus is a victory. Jesus is a victory. Jesus is a victory. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus will lift you up. He'll bring you up. You'll live, not die. He's the victory. Now, then, let me give you the last part. Mark 9, verse 28. And when he had come into his house, his disciples asked him privately. Notice this. They don't want to be embarrassed. Psst, psst, psst. Jesus, come here. Psst. Out on the street, they said, well, that boy got healed. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. In the back, they got, Jesus, come here, man. Come here. Come here. How'd you do that? How can you do that? Why could we not cast him out? Now, there's more to it than just a statement because realize the first thing Jesus said to him, you are a faithless generation. And what we also know is this, that Jesus called his disciples together in the 12 and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. They had been empowered. They had been empowered to cast out devils. They were exorcists. They had been empowered to do that. Here they didn't. First thing Jesus said, you're faithless. That's your problem. You're faithless. Let me tell you something. God's got all the power we need to do anything that we have need of that His Word says we can have. It's all available. It's all there. He's waiting for you to stand up and do something. You say, well, maybe I feel like this man. I'm struggling between the two. What's the answer? Here it is. Jesus said it. He said to them, this kind... The fight against this devil that's been entrenched in this little boy all his life, this, this kind of spirit that you're dealing with right here, this thing, he, he just didn't come out, Jesus is really saying to him, he just didn't come out when I commanded him to right then. He came out, of course. But in Jesus' life, there was a command in his life that prepared him to make that command. You walk up and you try to come against the devil and you ain't ready? You'll be like them boys in Acts chapter 19. You'll be running out of the house naked, what you'll be doing. The devil whip you all over Lawrence County. He'll whip you all over this state. He'll whip you out good. Run you off naked. All this kind of stuff. He'll, he'll, he'll get rid of you if you're not ready. And that's the key to have a successful prayer of come out devil. Is It's not just that one statement. Come out devil. It's the things that happened before you got there. That happened in here. You're going to say, oh, no, Pastor, I didn't want to hear this. In your prayer closet. In your time with the Lord. In your commitment and communion with Him. In your prayer and your fasting and your word life. That's what got you ready that you could say, come out. I, I know the world we live in, man. We, we want this instant stuff, don't we? I mean, give me the secret in 10 seconds or less. How to lose 40 pounds, you know, in so many days when no exercise. Don't change the way you eat and don't do that. Ain't going to happen to you. 
It is not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. There's some things you got to do. If you want spiritual power, the spiritual power you want is given by God. He has endowed us with it. He has empowered us with it. He has seated us with Christ in heavenly places. He has given us the authority of the believer. He has empowered us by the power of the Holy Ghost. His word, all that is so. But do you believe it? That becomes a question. And you say, well, then, where, how do I get to believing? Here it is. This kind doesn't go up but by prayer and by fasting. Andrew Murray said it like this. It is when we are in intimate communion with the Lord that unbelief is conquered. In, in other words... If I just walk in off the street and the devil's got somebody, oh, Lord, I better get out of here. You might get me too. But if you have been in communion with God and been in the Father's presence and he has filled you and you love him and you know him and then you encounter the devil that's against somebody, you're not afraid because you know God's got your back. You know God's with you. You know God's there. You don't think twice about those kind of things. And, and that's why, don't get mad about this because some things don't need to be. But I was in church for a long time. Every request they ever had, I never knew what anybody wanted. Every request they ever had was unspoken. You know why? Because we don't know if you don't get it or not. If you tell us what it is, we might find out you didn't get it. Make us all look bad so we'll have all these unspoken. Now, some things are private. You don't need to tell everybody all your business. Amen. Not always. And God don't need to hear a long story of, you know, 14 years. You, what's wrong with you? You say, well, back when the earth began to cool, you know. You don't need to go back that far. I mean, you don't need to do that. Just here's the problem. I got this issue. This is what's going on. Fix me. You know, whatever. But, but the thing is this. And so is there a place for unspoken request? I, yeah, there is. Don't tell everybody's business. And, hey, if you come up and you give a prayer request and you can give a private request, I'm not going to back up now. What they just said was this. You're not going to do that. I mean, everything be done decently in order. But at the same time, don't be afraid. Hey, I got this problem, and this is what I want, and this is what I need, and we'll know when I get it. Amen. That's why I prayed for years. I, I prayed a bunch of things for years. I used to pray. It's unbelievable. But I used to pray at our church here, and I'd pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I'm believing you, Lord God, for $1,000 worth of offering this week. If I, if I pray for that now, we'd have to shut the doors next week. I don't do that. I pray, God, I'm believe six thousand dollars in the name of Jesus. That's what I want. That's what we're believing for. That's what we're expecting in the name of Jesus. Amen. I mean, God's done incredible miracles for our church financially this year. It's unbelievable. You're going to see some change take like you. I mean, it's unbelievable. God has blessed in miraculous ways. But but say what you need. Jesus said, "Pray, give us this day our daily bread." Brother Copeland again taught me years ago. He used to get a piece of paper, write down what you need, jar, and that's your daily bread. And I wrote down my need. I said, this is what I need. This is what I'm expecting. This is what I need. This is my daily bread. What I want right here, give me that. And so I, I'll pray it. I'll pray it. Lord God, in Jesus' name, I'm believing you for thousands of dollars. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in Jesus' name. Thousands of dollars. I was praying that one day for the church. And the Lord asked me, said, why are you still praying that? I said, I don't know. I've been praying a long time. He said, why are you still praying that? He said, how much you got? I said, we got thousands. He said, why are you still praying for what you got? Amen. And I said, Lord God, I'm believing for tens of thousands, tens of thousands, Jesus' name. Tens of thousands, I'm believing in Jesus' name. Well, he didn't say it on that, but I realized it. I don't pray for tens of thousands anymore. I pray for, you know, millions now. Thank God this church is worth $3.5 million paid in and clear. All it prayed in, believed in. You know, all it, it didn't sell the first donut. It's a, it'd be rough now. Because Sheila backslid this last week. She really did. Because she come home and she had one donut in one plastic little box that had 59 cents on top of it. I said, since when they start putting donuts in one little plastic box? She said, since the virus. Curse that virus in Jesus' name. Curse it. Curse it until the hot light comes on at Krispy Kreme. Amen. Curse it until buy one doesn't get one free. Amen. That, that new normal will never work for me. How about you? Uh -uh. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. What do we do? Close it up prayer.
Fasting. I added one, living in the Word. Living in the Word. How, how are you going to get to that place where you believe and don't doubt? It's your responsibility. So, so now that it is, instead of whining and crying at God and up mad and upset with Him, begging, pleading, all this kind of stuff, again, I've, I've shed a few tears. I've cried a, a time or two. I guess maybe I begged or pleaded. I, I shouldn't have. But maybe, you know, in my lifetime of 45 years, I, I guess I have some of those, according to Dr. Patterson, some of those times. But I try to stay away from that all I can. I really do. And I've been pretty good at it. I just don't want to go there. Don't do that. And, and so instead of complaining against God, I recognize, okay, it's me. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, oh, Lord. That's why It's me. This boy right here. Leon, you're going to have to do something about yourself. Yeah. If you're not believing, you better get in that word. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You better do it. You better do it. If you don't see that need come to pass, you better start praying. Because the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that boldly they begin to pray. They do their voices boldly before God, and God moved for them. You, you better do it. You better get in there. You better get into the word because the Bible says the sword sows the word, and it does always bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. So if you don't see 30, 60, and fold coming forth, something's happened. You better start sowing that word. Amen. Put the word in you. And so all it is is just a clear methodology, if you, if you like that word. Discipleship. A disciple of Christ. I stay before the Lord in prayer. I stay before the Lord in fastings. Stay before the Lord in the word of God. Amen. Just live in that arena. And what happens? Without even thinking about it, without knowing your faith arises faith grows and you get to that place and you're living in that place with god amen, amen. the responsibility is yours it's mine it is our responsibility god has done if we can get this cross i mean god loves everyone I, I know our language sometimes is not what it needs to be when we ask god to do something to god move and i understand people's hearts that, that they hurt and, and and they are in need I, I can understand that i'm not trying to be critical toward their attitude their spirit but but basically if you're still asking god to move you, you're two thousand years late he moved two thousand years ago in fact he done listen don't get mad but he done all he gonna do He's done all that he is going to do. He's done every bit of it. All that he's going to do has already been done. It's your responsibility now. It's my responsibility now. It's our responsibility to do the things of God. If you can believe, all things are possible unto him who believes. Stand with me this morning. Let's go before the Lord in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father God, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Lift your hands toward heaven. Say, Dear Father, I give you praise. I give you thanksgiving for your word, your love, your promises, your blessings, that all available for me. I commit to you. I believe. I am a believer. I am not a doubter. I receive the promises of God into my life. I believe and I know. Because I pray, I fast, I live in your word, I commune with you. My relationship is built up in you. My cup runs over. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Everything is all right in the kingdom of God. Everything is all right within me in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shout glory this morning. Come on. Glory to God. God bless you. God bless you.